everybody in the company more so than ever before came together And there was not a role distinction of like, I'm not in sales or I am in sales. The whole company, whether they were in service delivery or sales, came together to collaboratively help hit this goal. And that was huge. My name is Samantha Riley, and this is the podcast for coaches, course creators, and experts who want to grow their influence, income, and impact to take their coaching business to a million dollars and beyond. We're going to share the latest business growth, marketing, and leadership strategies, as well as discussing how you can use your human design to create success in business and life, inside and out. Create the influence, income, and impact you need to build your business so you can create your ideal lifestyle. It's time to make a difference and scale up. This is the Influence by Design podcast. Welcome to today's episode of Influence by Design. I'm really looking forward to introducing you to today's guest, who is a very esteemed business owner. She is co-owner and CEO of Interview Connections, which is the first and leading podcast booking agency. She has won first prize in the best podcast category in Rhode Island International Film Festival for her podcast, We Get It, Your Dad Died, which I'm really looking forward to finding out about that story and lots and lots of other amazing things, which I'm not even going to talk about now because let's just dive in. Welcome to the show, Maggie. Thank you so much for having me. So you have, looks like, have done a lot of different things. Looks like you're a true creative by the looks of it. Tell us how you landed on this particular business and, uh, you know, how you got here. Yes. So it's sort of a unique journey because I am the co-owner and CEO of Interview Connections, but I didn't found the company. I actually, I went to school for actually art and Latin, and I wanted to be a professional artist, a painter, and then pretty quickly figured out that I did not actually want to do that every day. And that I really had no idea how to make money doing that. So then sort of like drifted from thing to thing to try and figure out what I wanted to do. I love to travel. So I moved to Taiwan for two years to teach English and just kind of save some money and figure out like my next step, but felt pretty directionless. And I had, I had a lot of skills, but I just didn't know how to bring them together in a way Mm. that could be a career, um, which I'm, I'm sure a lot of people can relate to. And I started feeling behind. And now looking back, I was like, in my mid twenties, which I'm like, looking back, I'm like, calm down. You're fine. But at the time, (laughs) at the time, it really did feel like I was getting left behind because other people really seem to have so much clarity. Like they went to school for something and then they did it as their job. And and it was so direct for them. Mm. And so I felt like I was kind of floating and like, I didn't belong. And I was increasingly frustrated of like how, you know, I had a lot of ambition, but really no idea what to do with it. And when I was teaching in Asia, I found out that my dad had died by suicide. And Mm. this blew my world apart because I'm an only child. I'm really close with my parents. And it was just, it was such a blindside. I, nobody saw it coming and it sort of broke me apart and broke my life apart And I had been planning to go home before my dad died from Asia and clean my parents' house because my parents are hoarders and they had this 
big six bedroom house that was just full of stuff. And it had always bothered me so much. I really don't like clutter. It makes me feel stressed. I can't be Mm -hmm. creative if I don't have open spaces. And growing up my entire life in a place where there's no open surface on a table, nowhere to sit, it made me, I think it contributed to mental health issues. It was just, it was very hard for me. And I was like, I'm going to do it. Like, I'm going to clean this house. Like, I'm finally going to like climb this. This is like my Everest. And then my dad died. And I was like, well, I guess I'm still going along with the plan though. Like my mom can't live here like this. So I moved home from Asia and then planned the memorial and did all that. And then embarked on this house clean project. I really think life works in mysterious ways because definitely does. <laughs> yeah. Cause this was terrible in every way, but it was also such a gift in so many ways because by losing my dad and I was a total daddy's girl, like my dad, like took care of things for me. Like I could count on him without him. I've, felt like an adult in the world for the first time. Like it was Mm. the first time I was like, if I don't do stuff, it's not going to get done because I can't count on him to do stuff for me or to do stuff for my mom. I have to step up and be like the head of the family. And through that house clean, and it took five months and it was all day, every day, cleaning, sorting, organizing. I had a giant dumpster. I had to figure out how to hire people and deal with plumbing issues, like everything. Wow. And, but by doing that for the first time, I was able to put the skills that I had and the tenacity that I had together in a way to create a really big result. And mm-hmm. that was the first time I'd ever done that and really had seen what I was capable of. Mm-hmm. And because of that house clean, I came into interview connections as the most entry-level employee, a $15 an hour contractor, and really had the skills to take on not just my job, but the jobs I saw that needed to be done in the business and then grow very, very quickly within the company by doing that. Mm. This is like the epitome of the story that I often hear of, you know, we're an expert, but we're an expert in nothing specific. Like we've had all of these different jobs, careers, experiences, and a lot of people don't know how to bring all of that forward into whatever they're doing now. And that is just the coolest story I've ever heard in that sort of that I don't even know. I was going to say roller coaster journey, but it's probably even more than that. It's sort of going around and around that arrives at a point. How did you move from that $15 hour job into being the CEO? That's a great question. So it was 2016, February. Actually, my anniversary is coming. It might be like today or in the next couple of days of my first day as a contractor. So it uh-huh. was February 2016. So I knew Jess. I had the founder of the company, my now business partner, Jess. We worked together when I had just gotten out of college and we were door-to-door canvassers. So we would knock on people's doors and talk to them about the environment and raise money and get signatures for this environmental organization. So we had been connected that way. And then when my dad died, I posted on Facebook because 
there were all these pets in the house and it wasn't my parents' fault. They weren't animal hoarders. I take home strays. This was my (laughs) fault. And I needed people suddenly with my dad gone and my mom understandably like very Mm -hmm. overwhelmed. I needed people to come take pets and foster them for me until I could get back to the US. Um, And I got back about a month after he actually died. And Jess was one of the people and we had really just been acquaintances and colleagues, but she commented on my Facebook post and was like, yeah, I'll I'll come pick up a cat. (laughs) And like, that meant so much to me. She ended up taking my dad's cat kitten and actually ended up adopting kitten and still has her kitten is old now, (laughs) like 17, (laughs) but it meant so much to me that Jess stepped up and did that for me, even though we didn't know each other well. So when I came into her business, I think it helped that I already had this deep loyalty towards her um, Mm -hmm. because she had done this amazing thing. So that foundation of loyalty and trust was important. And then also it was, I had come through this situation of just figuring things out with the house clean and just doing what needed to be done and hitting obstacles and not getting stopped. And so I took those skills kind of unknowingly into a small business, which at that point was probably at like, maybe like just at six figures or low six figures. Mm -hmm. And that's really the mentality that you need. So by doing that, I quickly started taking on more responsibility and then became the first employee in 2017. Mm -hmm. So did you just go to her one day and say, hey, look, I've got this idea for where I want to take the company. Did you go and say, hey, this is what I want? How did that eventuate? Yes. So I became the first employee in 2017 and we started we changed the whole labor model. So we had used remote contractors who are all over the world to do everything in the business. And we changed over in 2017 to using only full-time W-2 employees in our state who could Mm -hmm. come into an office in person, Uh which was... (laughs) What a distant memory that is. (laughs) Yes, I know. And, And that's actually a silver lining of... I think the pandemic for me, cause I did not, I was like, why am I in an office doing something uh-huh. I could do at home? But, um, but that was a very steep learning curve. We really didn't know what we were doing. And I had some work experience from other jobs, but I'd never had a manager who was really like a transformational leader or anything like that. So I did not have any good model and was just kind of winging it and figuring out how to hire people, how to train people. We had no KPIs. We had no systems. Like It was really kind of chaotic. And we had Mm -hmm. gone from contractors who lead themselves and they just deliver the results to you and you pay them to employees who are like, you need to tell me what to do. And I'm like, oh, huh. All right. Um, Well, let me figure it out. And it was highs and lows. There was a lot of crying in Jess's office, like just because it was so overwhelming, right? Like I would just go in her office and close the door. I'd like put my head down on this table she had and like cry. And then I'd like get up and wipe my eyes and go back out there. And we just keep going. And we, we sort of became kind of more of a partnership than a, than a boss employee relationship. Cause we were really in it together and going through so much stress together. And I was taking so much ownership. I think she was also grateful that I didn't just leave um, mm-hmm. because it was 
craziness, but because of what I had been through and because I had done so much therapy too, as a result of my dad dying, I was really able to be resilient and roll with the punches. So we started a podcast together that we used to do on Sundays that was not owned by the business. It was just like a project that we did 50-50. And we started working together as partners through that. And then we started, she knew I was very entrepreneurial. And from getting to know our clients and meeting more entrepreneurs, I had also figured out like, oh, this is like what I am. <laughs> like this is, I want to own a business. And so we talked about different types of businesses. We talked about maybe starting a media company. And then it kept getting kind of confusing because it was like, okay, but what happens to interview connections? Like we start a mm -hmm. new company, but so we had talked it through and Jess was like, do you want to be a business owner? And as she described it, I said, yes, so fast that I think she was like a little taken aback. <laughs> so now she has this key, key employee who is really an entrepreneur. Mm. And we started entering into conversations about potential ownership and equity in interview connections. And I asked for 50%. And there was some kind of back and forth negotiation. And I was not willing to own less than 50% because I wanted mm -hmm. it to be fully equal. And I was like, if I'm going to take on this risk, I want the full reward mm -hmm. too. And I did, like you're saying, lay out a plan. Like, look, if you give, <laughs> if I'm incentivized to have this business make more money, I guarantee you, you're going to make more money. And here's how. And I laid out you know, these plans I had. And she was like, wow. Okay. So uh, eventually she did end up saying, yeah, okay, let's do it. So I came on 2018 as a 50% owner. We doubled the business from 400 to over 800,000 in 2018. Mm -hmm. And then we broke a million in 2019 and we haven't stopped. <laughs> and, and I love this journey. And I think that with any entrepreneur, they just know like, this is yeah. me. This is, this is what I do. You know, we're a little bit square peg in the round hole. We think differently. And definitely what resonated with me about that story, which was exactly the same story as, as my original story is I'm okay to work hard, but I want the reward for it. Why should I go to work at a job and work 10 times harder than anyone else and get paid the same amount? I may as well just go all in and just work really hard and get all of the reward. So I totally resonate with that. Now, I read a blog post of yours where you were talking about reaching this ceiling where you where you were sitting at that and I maybe it was the 800 mark for a couple of years and there was some real frustration that you just you kept butting your head against that number can you take us through how you were feeling at that time when you couldn't push through and what yes. was going on in the business yes so we grew really fast to 800 we grew really fast to a million and then we were able to double that really quickly to two million and then we had heard from a lot of entrepreneurs we knew in like mastermind groups, oh, there's this ceiling around two to three million, you hit it. And it just, things just start getting so hard. And when I first started hearing that we weren't there yet. So I was like, uh, I'm sure I'll be fine. Like, cause we'll, you know, it seems so great to be at two to 3 million, but then we hit it and I was like, Oh, okay. <laughs> and when you get used to this really fast growth and things just working, 
And then you get to this, this point that I think a lot of people do hit at 2 million where suddenly it's just like, you're doing more and more and you're expending more and more effort, but you're not getting more results. You're just kind of stuck. And it's like Mm -hmm. everything you do, no matter how hard you work, no matter what you try, you pivot, you change tactics. We just couldn't get past it. It was crazy. It was like, I was like doubling the amount of effort, but the results were maybe budging a little bit in terms of the numbers. So we truly were like stuck and it was, you know, we were still doing really well. We were still a successful company, but it was really frustrating for someone who thrives on fast growth to feel like things were at such a standstill. And so I, I set that goal two years ago to have our first 500K month. And when I said it, I was like, I thought maybe six months we would hit it. Like at the time when I said it, we were having like six figure, low six figure months. So I was like getting a 500K, it'll be big, but it's not like, it's not like we're going from 50K to 500K. Like this shouldn't be too hard, Mm -hmm. but it was very, very hard. And I'm really actually grateful. And I wrote about this in the blog post. It actually ended up being worth so much more than 500K or really Mm -hmm. any other dollar amount. What I learned in those two years, 24 months of setting that goal every month and failing every single month. And it, it was so frustrating, but it also forced me to look at things that I probably wouldn't have looked at and dealt with, especially pertaining to like my own leadership and how I was showing mm. up. Mm. So what were the challenges when you set the, that goal of 500,000 a month, which probably there's people listening to just like, whoa, I can't even imagine that. What were the challenges that you were having coming up month after month after month? Yeah. Basically every challenge, like that's the thing that made it so confusing. It wasn't like, this is a sales issue or this is a, this issue. It was like so many different reasons, although a lot of it was sales. So we had just transitioned from, we got to 2 million with my business partner, Jess doing a lot of the sales, like the sales calls and stuff like that, because the founder does the sales calls like for a while. And in the business, I think that's pretty typical. And we had just started building a sales team, which, you know, we had figured out a booking agent team. We had figured out the service delivery and how to hire and train employees for that after, you know, it was hard one, but we did figure it out. And, and that was like a really well-run machine. We had a great team. We knew what we were doing, but we hadn't really built out sales and marketing. We'd been so focused on service delivery and building out the team there. And Jess was doing so much of the sales and marketing. And I don't think we realized fast enough that that wasn't sustainable. Mm. And so in order to hit 500K, even at a high ticket price point, we really needed the infrastructure, the sales and marketing team to support that. So we started hiring. We started hiring salespeople and really quickly realized that building a successful sales team is totally different than building a successful service delivery team. Mm -hmm. They're a very different type of person. It's tough too, because there's no culture yet because they're the Mm -hmm. foundations. They're starting it. So we had booking agents coming in to this established, really great culture. And then of course, they're all doing great. But the 
salespeople had to start the culture. So we had a lot of hiring mistakes. We brought in a lot of people who weren't a good fit. And then we just had a lot of like typical problems, like the ads are turned off for no reason and like, you know, Mm, stuff like mm -hmm. that. But there was a lot of kind of chaos in the sales aspect. And we really had to look at how do you scale a sales team? And we had scaled everything else, but the sales team itself, we hadn't really figured out. The other thing was, and I wrote about this in the post, and this is something I realized actually on a podcast, me and Sam Dean, who is another great Australian entrepreneur, we're kind of talking this through about that $2 million plateau. And I really think that $2 million a year is like, I think just under 200K a month. And I think that's probably about as far as you can go on your vision. And up mm-hmm. until that point, when I came on, I brought my vision. Like I mm-hmm. was like, give me 50% of this company. Here's my vision. Here's the strategy to get there. And my vision led the company. And when we tried to hit 500K with my vision leading the company, it just wasn't enough. Like it wasn't just about the sales or the marketing or tactics. It truly was that it had to be collaborative. The team had to want the goal and it had to be their vision as much as mine, or we just couldn't get there. We could get pretty high. We could get to like 200K a month, but basically no higher. So we had to stop and go back into the team and look at how are we leading? How are we really doing this? We had to go back to basics. I went back to basics in like everything. Like there's meetings that I didn't go to for so long that I had like delegated that I took back. There was like direct reports that I, you know, it was a person below me who was mostly talking to them. I took those back and it wasn't about control or micromanaging, but it was realizing that I had gotten too far removed and I didn't Mm. even really know what was going on enough to have clarity that I needed to see how I needed to shift my leadership and how the strategy needed to change. Mm. Let's go back to the vision because I think that this is like the most important part. How did you move from making this your vision to turning it into a collaborative process? What was the, A, what was the very first time you really realized it? And what were the steps that you then took to change this and bring the team in? And what did that look like? Yes. So this is very much still a work in progress. Um, We're recording this in February. We had a 500K month in December of 2021, a couple months ago. So we did it, but we haven't achieved consistent 500K months yet. (laughs) Yay. I I couldn't just let that go. I was like, I'll forget by (laughs) the end. Thank you so much. We have to celebrate that. (laughs) Yeah. And of course I forget to celebrate. I don't even pause between saying we do that, but we haven't done it consistently yet. So (laughs) that's something I'm personally still working on is pausing for celebration. Uh Um, But so this is very much still in progress. Um, I will say that I don't feel like we've arrived, but I had this kind of breakthrough because we had just been doing the same thing over and over. And I was actually away. I was at a mastermind meetup. And I think it's really helpful to get away from your business. I think you have Mm. a lot of breakthroughs. And it was by doing that, that I started voice messaging um, my business partner, Jess, and our manager and was like, all right, Matt, who's our manager, I want you to like get with all the team and talk to them about what a 500K month for the business would mean to them. 
Like, how would they feel about it? What could it do for them personally? Like, and that was just to have those conversations that changed a lot. And that's like such a small thing, but we had never stopped to do that. I had just been Mm. telling them my dream and my goal, and this is what we're doing. And of course they're all like nice people and they want to humor me. So they're like, woohoo. But like, (laughs) you know, but I, but I never was like, how would this feel to you? Or like, what ideas do you have for us to hit that? And once we had people looking at like, what could this mean for me? And how can I contribute? What ideas do I have? It was really a team effort. And when we hit 500 K so many people were involved, both tactically and ideas wise. We had people helping with looking at clients who were up for renewal and strategizing on that, looking at new sales. I mean, everybody in the company more so than ever before came together and there was not a, a role distinction of like, I'm not in sales or I am in sales. The whole company, whether they were in service delivery or sales, came together to collaboratively help hit this goal. And that was huge. Mm. Collaboration is definitely a big thing. And I think something that I've always struggled with is getting the vision off my plate and turning into the collaborative. In all of my business, we've always had that conversation, but it isn't as easy as it sounds because like you said, you have these amazing team members that are smiling and they, and you know, and you go like, what are your ideas? And they're just like, oh, you know, we just, we just want to do it. Like, whatever you tell us. So how did you, how did you even sort of bring that to go, all right, this is our, this is our thing now. How did you get them from being afraid to to give their ideas, being um, you know courageous enough to step into that? Is that a culture piece? How did you get that to move forward? Yeah, that's a great question. I think a big part of it is being there. Like I really wasn't, like I said, there were so many meetings that I wasn't a part of because I was focusing on so many other things. I was like writing a book. I was getting out there on podcasts. I was doing like kind of behind the scenes strategy and vision and stuff for the business. So I was setting the vision, but I wasn't as present with the team. And I think that's a big part of it. I think it's showing up consistently and asking them consistently and talking about the vision consistently. It's not the type of thing where you can say, like, okay, you know, I'm going to schedule one meeting where I want your ideas for the vision. Like they're probably going to clam up, but if you're with Mm. them every week or multiple days per week, and you're talking and collaborating and talking about vision, people start to talk. So I think that's the biggest thing. You don't want to be like a bungee jump leader. Who's like jumping in, like, what are your ideas? And everyone just like crickets. Cause they're not prepared and they don't even really mm-hmm. know if you want to hear them. And then you're just like gone. It's like really being present with the team and showing with your actions and the consistency of how often you're asking for their input that it's safe and that it's wanted. I love that. I want to go back to the sales team because this is something you talked about and this is something that, you know, and we were saying this just before we recorded that the universe sends us these, these little signs. I have had so many people in the last two weeks going, ah, sales team, we need to have the sales, you know, grown. So this is something that there's a lot of people asking about. Can you talk to us about some of the 
challenges that you had with growing your sales team and some of the things that you implemented to really be able to grow to that 500k a month? Yes. So Jess did a lot of the like in the trenches leading of growing the sales team. And that was actually part of the breakthrough that I had. It was very much, I think we get, I think our team gets too rigid in their roles sometimes. And I think we do as well, right? Like Mm -hmm. it's this idea of like, I'm the visionary and the strategist. I don't need to be at every sales meeting. Mm. And so we had this lane distinction of, I was doing like finance vision strategy and Jess was doing sales and Jess was in charge of the sales team. But that didn't really make sense because first of all, it was just Jess. So it was a lot harder to have a culture. She's amazing, but it's just like, you know, a new salesperson comes on and it's just you and your boss, like, and they're just kind of like, okay. And it's not, there's not really a, a team vibe. Uh-huh, and, uh-huh. and then also there was skills that I have around strategy that I think were necessary to build it. And I, I, should have been showing up there. And I wasn't because I was like, well, sales isn't really my lane. And so a big part of it was I started coming to the sales meetings every day. And I'm like, I hate meetings. Like I don't hate meetings. Once I'm on the meeting, I like it, but I love having like free space in my calendar to create Uh like the hoarding too. I want clear Uh spaces, you know, physically, calendar everywhere. Uh And so sometimes I feel a little constrained by meetings. And that's actually a mindset that I've also broken through. That's really helped. But I realized that I couldn't just come in once a week on like a sales strategy session and offer any valuable strategy because I hadn't been there consistently to actually watch what was happening and see the conversations around sales that were happening. So by going in consistently, I was able to really contribute with my skill set where I wasn't able to be helpful before because I didn't have enough clarity that you can only get from shadowing and being present and watching stuff. Nobody can brief you on what's really going on because there's little things you'll catch that somebody wouldn't even think to report to you that you're like, oh, this makes sense. Mm, Like I see what's mm -hmm. happening now. So showing up consistently was a big part of it. The other thing was leading a shift of like, who is the sales team? Because we have this one salesperson who's amazing and we've had her for a while, but the conversation was always, well, we only have one salesperson. We only have one salesperson. And as I got more involved, I was like, we have over 20, we have like 25 full-time employees. And a lot of them do stuff that's sales and marketing related. So a big part of it too was, If you're stressed because you don't have a sales team, if you have a team, you have a sales team, right? Mm. I'm really not a believer in super rigid roles. So bring them into the conversations about how to hit sales goals, about how to recruit more salespeople. And now our sales meetings, we have a manager there, we have salespeople, we have a marketing person, but we also have our client care team. And they're not like hard salespeople. They're not closers, but they're the people who talk to our clients all the time. They're responsible for renewals and reactivations and upsells. And by bringing them in, we were able to see we had a lot more sales team resources than we thought we had before. Mm. Do you know what I love about this story is that 
there's 25 people there that have got relationships already with clients. And here's the thing, we connect with different people for different reasons. And by not understanding that there was potential sales missed because there was that relationship already built with someone else that isn't even or it doesn't even need to be this rigid sales conversation using the script because it's just a conversation. And if you connect with someone, you're like, yeah, okay, I'll, I'll join, I'll sign up, here's my credit card, whatever it is. So I really love understanding that all of us in a team are part of the sales team because we all have those conversations with our potential clients or clients. Yes, exactly. And then suddenly you have a sales team and you have a culture. So when you're hiring salespeople who are going to be focused primarily on sales, they're not coming in to just, you know, you as the owner talking to them like, so do this, but they've got the energy of other team members who are collaborating with them. And and that's huge. Mm, Love that so much. Once you, obviously you've hit your 500K in December, what are some of the, the new growing pains or the new friction points that you realize once you've hit that goal? What are you working through at the moment to get that consistency that you mentioned that you're really looking forward to? That's a great question. And because it took so long to hit this goal and because I had to grow so much as a leader, yes, obviously we are, there's growing pains and like when there's problems to be solved once you hit the goals and once you hit new levels, but for the first time, I don't feel like it's on me to solve the problems, Mm. right? Like now I'm initiating conversations every day about, okay, we hit 500 K it got a little chaotic there. How can we do this sustainably? And they're like, okay, well, you know, the team was overwhelmed with new clients. Okay, cool. So what do we need to do to address that so that we can consistently have these months and it's not straining the team and all that stuff. And it feels so much lighter. It feels like I'm not showing up on meetings, like driving them. It feels like I can sort of receive more and get other people. And it's such a different feeling energetically. And so, yes, there are problems now of not problems, but puzzles now of like, okay, we did this once. How do we do it sustainably? You know, what does that look like? What do we need in place? But I have a great team of people who have great ideas and they're the ones actually on the front lines. They're the ones actually experiencing the strain of being inundated with more clients than they usually are at once. And so they're the perfect people to come up with solutions. Mm. I mentioned this on a podcast episode just recently in that I feel that when you grow, a lot of people think it will get easier, but it's just like the old game of Donkey Kong where the, where the apes at the top holding the princess and just throwing the barrels down. And every time you level up, there's just more barrels. And I remember back when we had our first seven figure business and I was out with one of our suppliers at dinner and they mentioned that they were a nine figure business. And I remember saying to her, wow, I just like, I can't wait to get to that. That's like the big dream and nine figure business. She went, oh, Sam, 
we don't have your problems, don't get me wrong, but we just got much bigger ones now. So it's just about always sort of up-leveling and, and having a look at what those new problems are and solving them. And one of the ways that we do that in our business is we have a bottleneck register. And this is just a fairly new thing for us. We have a Slack channel called Bottlenecks and, and feel free to take this because it is working beautifully. Every time someone has a problem, it goes straight into that Slack channel so that on the next meeting, it's like, okay, these are all the bottlenecks. What do we have to deal with? Um, and I think that that's something that a lot of people don't realize this. It doesn't stop. There is always the next problem. There's always something different. And even things that you've dealt with before, times change and you're dealing with them in a different way. So um, it's, I love that you're sharing that it's this constant evolution of just dealing with the next thing. And when it gets to a million dollars a month, I'm sure it'll be a whole different set of challenges. <laughs> yes, that's our goal for this December. So I will report back on Oh, you definitely sanity. have to come back. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's just take this moment and take a breath and pause for celebration, seeing you haven't had that time to, to stop and breathe it in. Um, and yeah, like I said, congratulations. Thank you so much for sharing your journey and so openly sharing how you got there. I'd love you to tell us a little bit or share a little bit about um, about what it is that you do and how you serve your clients for people that are listening. Yes. So we book entrepreneurs as guests on podcasts so that they can grow their visibility and get new clients. We've been doing this since 2013. So we are the first to do this. We figured out a lot along the way. And we actually, we grew interview connections from zero to seven figures with no paid ads, primarily relying on this strategy of organic podcast guesting to get leads and to get clients. So that's what we help our clients do. And we still do it. Jess and I are still on four shows a month, every single month. And we get clients that way too. So that is what our company does. Awesome. And how can people stay connected with you? Yes. So to check out Interview Connections, you can go to interviewconnections.com. And then I also have a personal blog at margiewithaharg.com where I have both my blog and my podcast, We Get It Your Dad Died. Awesome. And of course, all those show notes will be on the show notes page over at influencedbydesignpodcast.com. Margie, thank you so much for joining me on the show today. It's been an absolute pleasure chatting with you. Thank you so much for having me, Samantha. Thanks for joining me for this episode of the Influence by Design podcast. If you want more, head over to samanthariley.global forward slash podcast for the show notes and links to today's gifts and sponsors. And if you're looking to connect with other coaches and experts who are growing and scaling their business too, come and join the Coaches Course Creators and Speakers group on Facebook. The links are all waiting for you over at samanthariley.global.